working at 18,000 feet, lugging the equipment around. I mean, I had this great idea that we were going to do two or three ERT lines a day. And one day I made our group do three lines. And I got to tell you, I mean, everybody was asleep by 6, 6.30, and no one was happy. I was like, okay, I'm never doing this again. This was a bad move because it's just exhausting. Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to a special edition of Seismic Sound Off In-Depth Conversations in Applied Geophysics. Professor Kirsten Nicholson serves as the project manager for the Geoscientists Without Borders project to find safe drinking water for two communities in the Sagar Martha National Park. Sagar Martha National Park is located in Nepal, most famous for being home to the world's favorite trekking destination, the Himalayas. Even though this area is popular with tourists, it struggles with adequate drinking water. The situation is far worse in less economically developed, semi-arid mountainous regions where communities experience poor health due to contaminated drinking water. Kirsten, along with Professor Klaus Newman, leads a GWB project to solve the water problems of two communities in Nepal, Forche and Labuche. These communities seek health to determine the placement and capacity of a water filtration and storage facility that would provide potable water to the community members year-round. In this episode, you will hear exclusively from Kirsten and Klaus as they take you on a journey from discovering the need for this project to what they hope they will contribute to these communities. Along the way, they highlight the meaningful contributions of students from the U.S. and Nepal, how the local communities have taken leadership in this project, and share the most enriching experiences for them. This is a powerful example of the significant contribution geoscientists can make when focused on a meaningful project for a local community. Visit seg.org slash podcast to find the link to learn more about Kirsten's project and to donate to GWB. And now, let's start our journey. Klaus and I ran a field trip to Nepal in 2013, and one of our alumni just kept nagging us to do something. And we talked about possible project ideas, but didn't have a feeling for what was being done. And then when we got back... We just started emailing communities and NGOs and people, anybody really, to see what was being done and what needed, most importantly, what needed doing. Yeah, we also did literature research, as we always do. And we found there's been quite some studies there for river water, but nobody's drinking river water. And there's very few studies on the quality of drinking water, which comes from springs or gets piped in. So we thought that there might be an option to work on that. And it really fit beautifully within the Geoscientists Without Borders framework because you've got this incredibly invested community that you know wants solutions, wants answers, wants data, and then this beautiful funding source that wants to do exactly that kind of work. This project, we are trying to understand, to quantify the aquifers in two villages, and also understanding not just how much groundwater, potential groundwater they have, but also looking at the chemistry, the flow rates, the potability, looking at all of that information to see if they have a viable water source other than their current contaminated water source, and ideally a water source that doesn't run dry. So 
So you're looking at a region where traditionally it was economically, what's the word? Underdeveloped. Underdeveloped, thank you. For example, almost no lined septic tanks. Less than 3% of the septic tanks are actually lined. Most of them are just gravel or nothing. And so you've got this issue with grazing. So you've got contamination from grazing animals. You've got 30,000 plus tourists every year entering the region with no line septic systems. And so the traditional way of dealing with waste doesn't work because there's now too much waste. But it's complicated because the water looks good. The water tastes good. You know, it's your high mountain water and it's clear and you think nothing's going to be contaminated here. And so it's it's this complicated problem where where you don't see that there's a problem necessarily. And you don't realize why there's, most tourists have no idea that there's a problem. But the communities have figured it out for sure. But again, until you prove there's a problem, it's very hard to fix that problem. Right now, the surface springs, the shallow springs that the communities are using from drinking water run dry. And part of that's because the glaciers are melting. That's that's a big part of it, because when it was hot and dry, they got lots of glacial melt in those streams, and they're not getting that anymore. And the other issue, of course, is that the monsoon season has changed. And so almost a significant number of these villages run out of water in the pre-monsoon dry season. Which is prime tourist season. Yes, absolutely. It's the time they need the water the most. It's also the prime planting season. So... By showing that, for example, Forte has two potential groundwater sources in the pre-monsoon dry season, sitting at about 80 to 90 meters depth. That's a completely drillable depth. Those water sources, one of them particularly looks quite big. And if so, once we've calculated potentially what the volume in that aquifer might be, if that water is usable, then it should be usable all year round. And in winter, it's not such a big deal because in winter, the water's all cold and there aren't many people up there. But it's that March, April, May into June, that's the difficult period. And if they've got usable groundwater in that period, then that really solves their problems. So the first finding was that in many places, the drinking water is never completely clean. But many of these spring waters were actually reasonably reasonably good. But by the time they get into a bottle or a tea kettle, they are highly contaminated. So there's a big problem with transport storing and handling of water sources. So we could suggest by just cleaning water tanks more frequently, for example, that would solve the problem. However, being that remote, you don't even get a gallon of bleach, for example, which you would that here at every single hardware store around the corner. There, that's tough because they want to drain their tank and clinic. And so there is a problem on that level already. But that's one thing we realized. If they would be more careful with their sample or more organized, the water quality would improve right away. A lot of people work in the Sacramento National Park, the Kumbu region, and then never come back and never show their data and... So when we kept coming back, we, we now got, you know, we get these wonderful welcomes. I want to take my son because I know all of these Sherpa women are going to come and hug him and tell me he's beautiful and all of these things. And, you know, we get small gifts and we get 
meals and we get invited into the kitchen to have dinner with the family. I mean, I love being in the mountains. I love the work we do. But actually, the human connection makes it really, and knowing that we're doing something that is impacting people's lives in a positive way, it is very rewarding. Also, not having formal education out there, often they see what's going on. So they know that they have less snow in the winter. They know their springs are changing. So they don't need a master's degree in sustainability to get that. And that's something to definitely always keep in mind. And you don't have to brag about your geology knowledge as long as you know what you're doing out there and show people that you really know the part that helps them. From the beginning on, working in Nepal was great in that we felt welcome. So water assembling in the United States can be tricky. People don't want you on their property. You have to ask for permission. And it's not always people don't want to see results. We've had that plenty around here. You go over there and so we test their water and people asked us, could you please test our water? Because they wanted to know if we had an answer and that felt just great. I'm coming more from an academic background where I really hadn't worked with people before. And that was a brand new experience for me that actually people, not just some other scientists says, wow, that's a great study, but actually people who are affected like it and you can see how you can help. And that for me was a really big driving force for this project. I agree. And like this year at the community meeting, people from different villages came and said, oh, we've got water problems too. When are you coming to us? It is wonderful to have people want our work. Another aspect is we have been working with Nepali students for the last seven mm. years. And so we always had two or three Nepali students and they were fantastic. Oh my goodness. Really impressed. Mm. Um, they were highly engaged. They already came well-educated, uh, so the Nepali universities do actually a good job of um, education. It's just not many of them. But they were great. They helped us. They did presentations with data. They either helped us directly or they usually come with their own little side project. They were super great in helping. We could train them um, a lot with fieldwork, so that was great for them. Um, it has been sometimes really motivating for our students, too, because <laughs> yeah. they over there really appreciate the fact that they get into that valley, which for them is not necessarily easy for research either. Yeah, we've taken students who've never been on a plane before. We've taken students many times. Most of our students have never been out of the U.S. Many of them have never left Indiana. And so it's almost you know one of those life-changing experiences to go and see a completely different culture, completely different way of living and realize how lucky we are to live here. And no matter how sort of pure science-oriented the students are when we leave, they come back realizing that there has to be a human connection. There has to be a real, why is this important? Why do we care? So we've taken a lot of students who, before we leave, we're like, I don't care about this community water project. I just want to go look at the mountains. I just want to look at the rocks. I just want to do science. And they come back with quite a changed idea because they realize how important it is to do meaningful work and to improve the, you know, the society and the, the planet we live on.
So I didn't even know they existed, Kirsten found out. <laughs> and you hear about Doctors Without Borders and things like that. For us, it's really, since we don't get salary for this, all we contribute is our time and our knowledge. But that is precious, because if I see what consultant rates here charge, it's a lot of money, and we can offer that knowledge. And the grant is great in helping us doing it by providing us the means to get um, equipment out there, and to get students, people out there, yeah. to get students out there. Yeah. But it's great to have that option outside the typical research money, which you don't get for projects like this because you don't do super bursting grant news because the application part is really, really important for us. But for, say, National Science Foundation, that's not often mm. that applicable. Without the Geoscientists Without Borders grant, we couldn't be doing this. I hope that what happens is that the two villages we're working with are able to drill wells. And I think that once they've proven that there is a usable, reliable, secure groundwater source for their villages, I think what will happen is the other villages will say, hey, we want that too. And so I hope the legacy is that the project continues without us. SCG produces Seismic Sound Off to benefit its members, the scientific community, and inform the public on the value of geophysics. Through programs like Geoscientists Without Borders, geoscientists worldwide give back with their knowledge, expertise, and perspective. So please help us spread the word about GWB and share this episode with a friend or colleague. And visit seg.org podcast to find the link to donate to GWB today. Original music created by Zach Bridges. Additional music provided by Artlist. Andrew Gary hosted, edited, and produced this episode at 51 Features. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.